What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. So, turn up your Walkman, loosen that scrunchie, and get ready to talk 80s with your host, Lindsay Parker. Entertainment and Sirius XM volume, and this is our second safe at home quarantine episode of Totally 80s. And since we're all at home, why not take a moment to follow us at Totally 80s on Facebook, on Instagram, or you can also email us your comments and show ideas at podcast at totally80s.com. Just a reminder, if you want to see our faces, I actually put on makeup today, so feel free to do that. You can catch this episode on video as well at our Totally 80s YouTube channel, so check that out. And I don't know if he put on makeup or not, but he's wearing a lovely Billy Idol t-shirt. Joining me today, as always, is my partner in all things 80s, the other John Hughes. Thanks, Lindsay. No, no, not even foundation today. I'm going natural. Going you know wrong. what? You got to let the skin breathe. You know, this is the time when we're home and we're quarantined. We could do the face masks and all that. But I did get dressed up because we have an 80s fashion theme today. So I can't think of a better guest to have than the fashion policewoman herself. Our very special guest today is a comedian, actor, recording artist, filmmaker, and writer. She's also a three-time Grammy and, and Emmy nominee. Uh, you may know her from some. You may know her from such stand-up specials as "I'm the One That I Want," her own very pioneering sitcom "All American Girl," uh, her co-starring role for six seasons on Drop Dead Diva. Of course, as I mentioned, East Fashion Police, Dancing with the Stars, and. I buried the lead here. Last but not least, she was the poodle on the Mass Singer season one, and she was totally robbed. She should have gone far. She had the best outfit, speaking of fashion, that was on the Mass Singer. She's also an experienced podcaster who hosts the show, The Margaret Show, which is a spoiler alert, obviously. We are about to welcome Margaret Show. And what I love most about her is her activism against racism and bullying along with her advocacy for LGBTQ rights. She's been recognized with many accolades for her work in that arena. So we are very happy. Without further ado, we are happy and proud to welcome to Totally 80s, the fashion policewoman, Margaret Cho. Thank you so much. Thank you. What a great introduction. I'm so proud to be here. This is great. It's going to even get greater because, as I mentioned, we're feeling fashionable. We got an 80s theme today. And... Like I said, I don't know even where to begin with you, Margaret, because you and I have had conversations for like 15 minutes just about the Human League Girls eyeliner. There are many <laughs> oh, yeah. ways the conversation could go. Um, we love fashion. We love the 80s. Yes. I think it's a decade that's fashion-wise gotten kind of maligned. People make fun of fashion. Oh, the big hair. Oh, acid wash. Huh? But there was a lot of cutting-edge fashion that I still see in fashion today. I think a lot of the 80s fashion is, dare I say, held up better than the 90s fashion. You know, mm -hmm. I don't want to dress like, you know, Elaine from Seinfeld. I want to dress like Pat Benatar. So exactly. I think, I think a good place to start, Margaret, um, would be let's talk about when you were growing up and being a huge pop music fan and into fashion and shopping at Contempo Casuals and all that. Mm -hmm. Who were your fashion icons that you looked up to in music that like that you tried to dress like or that you still 
emulate? I think that the 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 basic uh, I think what I'm always trying to go for is the deep sea skiving album cover for Banana Rama. Like <laughs> their entire press tour for whether it's the moccasins or the painter pants, the hats that are worn the back of the head. Um, when um, I think when the Fun Boy Three also and uh, Jane Weedland was briefly hanging out with Harry Hall, that kind of thing when. The, uh, our lips were sealed. Was it was a fun boy three song or the yeah. song? It's both. Um, it's a go. Sure. Um, when yeah, when uh, our lips were sealed was a dirge. That whole period. Um, there's like a lot of different looks, like from Scott. Like I think that I definitely sort of have a mod with a rocker heart look about me. I want to be like both a mod and a rocker, but also like 80s and Brighton. Um, you know, there's so much of it that's sort of stuck in 1982 also, like it's the early part of the 80s. But what I love about the 80s is that it's kind of like it draws from all eras of the 1900s. And mm -hmm. it's like, um, you know, you actually are pulling from like the, like, Victorian era, like when you get like the lace covered boots mm. and um, weird like uh, upholstery fabrics like Madonna was bringing in in the yeah. late 80s or um, you're like looking at like uh, the 40s, like, you know, with um, even like 40s futuristic like Blade Runner. And then, you know, there's like and so the much sisters. going on. And the Pointer Sisters. Yeah, absolutely. It's that you bring up the Bananarama. I'm gonna say Bananarama because that's how Richard Blade says it. And I grew Bananarama. up in LA. Bananarama, mm -hmm. not trying to sound snooty. Uh, was this whole like kind of ragamuffin thing. There were like the super glamor Roxy music, Patrick Nagel And I want to talk about that too, because I loved that look. But there were a lot of people that I looked up to. Maybe I looked up to them because I thought, oh, I can do that. That just looked like they threw any old stuff on. Like before Bananarama or Bananarama got all glam, in the sort of like later Venus era, they look like they just threw rags on them. Madonna was just tying a rag around her head. Cindy Lauper was throwing on a dress she bought at Goodwill for $3. Um, Fuzzbox was a big one for me. Do you remember Fuzz? We've got a Fuzzbox. Yeah. 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 Like just throwing on like what looked like, actually looked kind of like trash, but like it was fashion. Well, did it start with Dexy mm. though? Because remember, we talked about this. The girl in Come On, the Come On Eileen video is Siobhan's sister. That is true. Mm -hmm. The whole overalls, you know, boho look. And uh, okay, first of all, how many pair of overalls did you guys have? Actually, I wasn't super into the overalls jam. I was not so much into that. But I did rip up a lot of t-shirts and tie-dye them and try to turn them into sack dresses. Um, but I didn't really get into the overall. I love Dexys, but I just, I guess I wanted to be a little more, I didn't want to look like, there were enough people wearing Oshkosh Bagosh in my school. I wanted to take it to another level. Is what I'm the to overalls for me came into uh, effect in the 90s with the baby t-shirts. So like, yeah. it was like, I actually brought that, like the overall, all overalls I associate far more with like TLC and yeah. um, Alanis that like became more of a grunge thing than it was. Although what I appreciate about Dex Dexy's Midnight Runners is how they would curate every sound kind of like um, movement that they did with their clothing. So they had their on the waterfront movement and then they had their sort of like um, 
Irish Rover, like, mm -hmm. you know, movement. So that, that their, their, their look was very much tied to what they sounded like. And I think that's like kind of lost with their American audience. I, I I was a big Gino look guy. I had the yeah. cap. I I the the turtleneck. I went all out, and I got. I was from Ohio, a small town in Ohio, and I got oh. looks. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone else is yeah. wearing leopard t-shirts and jeans, and I'm like carrying a briefcase with my sailor hat. Before oh. I forget, though, when we're talking about the trash thing, do you guys remember Total Coelho? Because yeah, I actually yeah. tried to wear a trash bag as a dress because oh, they right? made. People like them, or like uh, Dale Bozio from Missing Persons, who look like oh, yeah. like tacking like a car engine to herself mm -hmm. with like some bubble tape and calling it an outfit. Like people were very creative with this DIY stuff. I don't think people realize that it wasn't all just designer fashion back then. No, because it was like the beginning of really trying to uh, create um, a look with things that you had, you know, we didn't have like, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have um, Etsy, you know, <laughs> so you really had to like take stuff from like your eye and like, you know, create something on your own. And I mean, that that was like really original. And I mean, people were doing stuff that was just really amazing and uncomfortable a lot of the time and probably <laughs> unsafe. <laughs> but You know, it was just like, We'll do, we'll do this for a look. And so it was, it was really amazing. Well, I want to ask you, so I, I used to try to make like these, I used to t take t-shirts and rip them up and tie them in my hair. And I used to like basically try to emulate my style icon was, was Madonna, early Madonna, first album, mm -hmm. Desperately Susan. And I also like literally tried to turn a trash bag into a dress, trying to do the total Coelho thing. I did not look as mm -hmm. cool as that. Like, do you have any stories about when you were a kid, when you were trying to like dress up, like trying to look like the girls on MTV and if it failed like it did with me or if it worked? Oh, definitely. Well, I love an old, um, a very trashed wedding dress from like the thrift store, like a, a, like a literal wedding dress, like somebody had worn in like the 60s mm. or the 50s that was like torn up. Or um, I also loved an, uh, an old bathing suit. Like, and things that you couldn't find nowadays, um, something from the 1920s, you mm -hmm. know, that you, you would be able to buy for maybe a dollar. And I mean, that's a pretty amazing thing to think about, but you know, that would just be laying around some, some junk shop. Um, but like an old timey uh, bathing suit or, um, you know, just even uh, like a old, um, Victorian jacket, like like you wear it a jacket, but it's actually like a Victorian blouse. You know, things that like people didn't really know the value of in like the like I guess it would be the late seventies or the eighties. Because I know that there was a junk shop that was my ballet school, and then it became like a junk shop, oddly, um, <laughs> down the street from my house. And it was just a place where you could buy your like you could take your allowance and go buy an outfit for a dollar. And wow. um, so this was like, yeah, late seventies, early eighties. And it was just there. So I just have, it just, you just happened upon it. And so there was no sense of like, oh, well this is cool or fashion wise. It was just cheap and you could just go and do it. There was no hot topic. I mean, there wasn't, you no. know, a place to go if you wanted to look alternative air quotes. No. And you know, I think every big city or even small towns like where I came from, there was a a section of the big city next to you that was like the arts district, you know, where they had like thrift stores and import record shops. And you'd go there and be like, Oh, I, I found an echo in the Bunnyman t-shirt. 
I mean, it was hard to find shirts like that back then. It was really hard. For me, it was Aardvarks and Goodwill. Oh, Aardvarks yeah, yeah. Store boutique in LA, and they had one in the Valley. But what I, I found some of my old stuff that I used to wear then, and I put it on, and I was like, I was sure, I'm only five feet tall now, and I was like probably a little shorter and, and definitely skinnier in junior high. And I'm like, why was I wearing this? It absolutely doesn't fit. Like, it seemed like in the 80s, everyone was very into volume. You know, there were like puff mm -hmm. sleeves. Jawed for pants that made your thighs look twice the size. Tonserton jackets, huge oh, everything. I mean, there was tight stuff too. There was the you know, but like everything, like even with the banana rama stuff you were saying, Margaret, like the slouchy look. And it's like I found my old trench coat. I was very excited. It was a trench coat I wore every day. A mm -hmm. big, huge trench coat. The sleeves are longer, like they go past my hands. The thing is touching the floor. It did not fit me at all. And I obviously didn't care at the time. Like basically, you know, walking around looking like you were wearing your big brother or your dad's clothes was a-okay back in then. I don't know. I don't know what I, I tailored nothing. I tailored nothing. Mm -hmm. Do we all have trench coats? I, I think that, uh, yeah, I had a trench coat. And I remember in um, 1985, I went to England and I didn't go to London. I went to um Bournemouth where my friend was like living there because she was in a, this um uh theater program and her like um her she was half English she was like so her family like was like living there and so she like went back to live there and then like um she was in this production of Greece so she was a pink lady and it was so weird to go see her in it because it was like everybody was everybody was British <laughs> and they were all like they were all like um in you know how the British accents and it was so strange, you know, that they were like singing and like they all had like the British accents and Sunday. And Sunday. We, it was so funny. Like and then we went to a um a goth club and all of the boys were wearing like their grandmother's clothes because they didn't have hot topic. Right. So they were just like wearing like their grandmother's like old silk blouses. A good you know. Awesome to have with a brooch. Yeah. A brooch. With a brooch. And they're like old grandmothers, like cameos. And it was so beautiful and like clown white makeup, you know, mm -hmm. and they're just using what they had and their own originality. And it was the very beginnings of goth and listening to Susie and um, The Damned and The Cure. And and it was such a, it was such a, a beautiful time to be there. Like, because it was the very beginnings of that. It felt so dangerous and so alive, but so like foreign and exciting. What did you, what, you went through a goth phase. Maybe we're both, we're, I'm still kind of in my goth phase, but you went through a goth yeah. phase. We yeah, all did. and I think, I think it's, it's still there. You know, it's, it's still like, you know, it, it's like every time I smell like a nog champa, something like my blood starts to tingle and boil. Like I, I, I really feel like there's like, something inside like i do like it, it's like the like a like a lace collar starts to like form around my neck and I, I do i feel like my nails start to grow and it's it's it's, it's like american werewolf in london like i just like i get real goth you know my skin starts to just get very blue and it's it's really a very like um you know I, my widow's peak forms on my head it's it's really you know you just start turning into dave vanian like it, you can't help it I'm shaking my head because in my junior year, I had the the dumb idea to dye my hair, which was I had then, black, jet black. And I bought like mm. the cheapest jet black dye from Drug Mart, you know? And yeah, and 
I'm a pale guy. It did not look good at all. And well, I bet it looked. You, when you're young, you get you can pull that off. When you get a bit older, when you basically have even the finest of lines on your skin, a, a real solid, hard blue black becomes tough to wear. But you know, when you're like 15 or something, go for it. You oh, can I also wear that pancake stuff, and it's fine. It doesn't settle. There's no lines for it to settle into. I threw a perm on top of it. That wasn't just. Uh, I, I was that's going so for cute. A Arcadia look. It was 1985. I wanted to be in Arcadia. You know they. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Nick Rhodes' look during Arcadia was a bonk. He was that was a bonkers look, like gothic Nick Rhodes, like black hair, huge I hair. Nick I was super into it. I was super into it. I love it with a big brooch. I mean, talk about brooch, like like a big like Art Deco like stacked marcasite brooch and like i mean it was like they were trying like him and simon lebon were trying to figure out who had like the bigger brooch it was like <laughs> who can get like a larger brooch it was like a brooch off <laughs> well this is a great entree into talking just about like andrade we're talking obviously a lot about women you know people like bananarama and madonna and i certainly want to get into some Susie talk and some uh, Pat Benatar talk, but we also need to talk about the men who weren't dressing all that differently from the women, as you mentioned. And like, I'm so, I feel so fortunate that I grew up in the eighties where my first heartthrobs that I got exposed to the first club scene I got exposed to was seeing men wearing makeup, seeing men sometimes even wearing dresses. Like literally one time I went on a date with a goth guy who was in a band and I wore a black velvet vintage dress. And afterwards, he said uh, he liked the dress, but he wasn't complimenting the dress like, hey, you look nice. He was like, hey, that's a nice dress. Can I? And he asked to borrow it for his next oh. gig. Oh. So he dropped me off and, I and he was waiting in the driveway. And I went inside, changed my clothes, brought the dress. And I was walking outside with the dress and the car was still in the driveway. And my mom goes, where are you going? What's, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, Seth wants to borrow my dress. And she's like, Seth, like the guy you're you're dating, and I'm like, yeah. And she's like, Lindsay, are you you know are you sure you you know likes girls? Like, why do <laughs> oh. you want to borrow your dress? And I was like, I don't have time to explain this to you, but yeah, he does like girls. Trust me. But like, I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think that was weird. And mm -hmm. when I went out to clubs and saw guys with makeup, or when I was watching MTV and saw you know bonkers Arcadia Aaron Nick Rhodes in like a brooch the size of his head. Like I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think it was wrong or, or weird. And uh, androgyny was just like, it. I feel like we've almost regressed since, since that time, you know, oh, that who gets away, what kids do you see getting away with that now? Or, you know, I mean, obviously you've got some kids who are non-binary or exploring and things like that. Uh, maybe that was what we were doing back then. I don't know, but Kentucky dad, West Virginia mom. Okay. Oh, yeah. I like to say that, you know, two negatives when they multiply, make a positive. Here I am. And mm -hmm. I'm wearing this stuff around and I got more flack at home than I did at school in Grafton, Ohio. I thought for sure my classmates looking back, I got away with a lot and I didn't get any flack. I, I didn't get bullied. I got bullied in junior high when I was a total nerd, but when this, I had this armor on, you know, like this trench coat with all my buttons, my favorite bands, and this merry-go-round shirt I bought that had different fabrics in each sector. <laughs> that shirt today, oh my god! Yeah. And I didn't get—I didn't get any flack. Is merry-go-round like the um, Mister Mister like shirts or like? 
They were, they were, remember they used to run on commercials on MTV all the time with, uh, they used mm-hmm. choir, right? Like, in, uh, come on, feel the noise. And yeah. it was yeah. like alternative, uh, new wave fashion. And they would yeah. have just like very bizarre shirts and, and, you know, uh, the uh the burnouts would like kind of walk by the entrance and be like oh, art fags you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i am thanks i remember watching the behind the music on board george where he said makeup is armor which i think is really interesting because i've always felt that way we you know we're talking about makeup for boys and for girls and i i'm, I'm in my house right now quarantined at my house and i'm wearing a full-on face of makeup i'm like f this natural look if i wanted to have the natural look you know what i do not wear makeup like you know if you want to look like you have the no makeup look there's an easy way to do that don't put any makeup on your face i come from the 80s school where makeup was meant to be seen at the top of the podcast margaret i mentioned the human league and their eyeliner susie had the eyeliner you know that holy grail to which we all aspire let's talk about makeup like because makeup was such a fun part of growing up you know it's a it's a rite of passage for any girl or in the 80s boy uh, but what were like when when you first start experimenting with makeup? What like pop stars were you trying to like look like? Phil Oakey. Oh, definitely. The definitely. Whole Phil Oakey from the beginning, where the Diana Ross severe uh, bangs on one side with the dangly earring and the high heels, but with a suit like a Joan Crawford suit with the shoulder pads, and then mm-hmm. you watch him like. And now it's Mirror Man. He's looking a little more butch. There's still some pancake. There's still an earring. There's still a suit. Then you get to the Lebanon where it's like, why do you want to be in U2? What's this? What's the scruff you've got on your face? No, we want Phil back. That's my arc. (laughs) I think Phil, yeah, Phil Oki, all of a human league, like their makeup was so genius and look like, because I think what was so beautiful is they're all they're all so beautifully balanced because the girls with their short hair and the beautiful makeup and then Phil with the short long hair. Mm-hmm. And then so it was like masking mask for femme, femme for mask, but it's like so like beautifully balanced. And then um, but I love like uh, the Prince Charming. Like I love like Adamant, like I love um you know, uh, Annabella, like I love the Mohawk. I love all, like basically any anybody managed by Malcolm McLaren, like whoever, like the um, makeup artists that they were using, they were like really on fire. Like anybody that like Annabella Lewin was using, anybody that was um, working with like, gosh, all, all of like, whether it was the Bell Stars or all, all of those artists were just look so perfect. Um, all of the makeup was so good. And um, yeah, Boy George was probably the most like, like you just stared. But all of Culture Club, you just couldn't believe how gorgeous they all looked. And he so worked you- with Malcolm McLaren too. He was like in mm-hmm. an early version of uh, Bow Wow Wow, wasn't he? Before yeah. Annabella came on. Yeah, it was oh, a okay. whole pirate thing. And also tied into what you were talking about with Dexies. Adamant curated his look like his makeup changed for every album. It had, you know, he had the three stripes across the two or three stripes across the cheek for Prince Charming for Kings yeah. of the Wall for here. He had the stripe across. He changed to a different pirate blouse for strip, you know, for friend or foe. He had the millet. He all, it was a variation on a look, but he had a uniform for every album. And the whole like, you know, pirate thing 
the whole Vivian Westwood thing. I just happen to have off camera, if you're watching this on YouTube, one of my prized possessions Ooh, is my yeah. Vivian Westwood purse, which when I met Annabella, interviewed her about a year and a half ago, had her autograph the inside. Oh, that's amazing. My, my goal is not to just have any 80 star sign the inside, but it has to be someone who wore that specific squiggle pirate uh, <laughs> pattern, that iconic pattern. So anyone in Duran Duran, of course, or George, uh, Adam, Ant, any of those people, because I wanted so much of what I own now is so like pathetically aspirational, like, oh, you wouldn't let me have that when I was a kid. Well, screw you, mom. I went on eBay and bought it now. And when I was a little kid, I saw all of the, um, the, these people were talking about wearing the Vivian fashions, which was this particular pattern. And I didn't know who she was. I was not aware of the whole legacy of her. She's my favorite designer now. And I said to my mom, mom, can I have a squiggle top? And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, you know, one of those squiggle tops. And um, I showed her a couple pictures like in smash hits or whatever. And she didn't know what they were, but I'm pretty sure if she'd realized they were like these, you know, $2,000 Vivian Westwood top, she would have said no. But I loved that whole, like the whole pirate look is like, it kind of ties into what you were saying earlier, Margaret, about like them taking from different eras. They're taking for like the 1700s and shit and, you yeah. know, evil stuff. And they're turning it into something. I was absolutely, and the makeup was such a big part of it. You're right. And so, so much about like pulling from history and um, male beauty, like even in the Prince Charming video, it's like you're pulling from like, Clint Eastwood and there's like Diana Doors is in there and it's like Marquis de Sade and it's it's like a pirates but it's also like Sergio Leone it's like all this like great like imagery that's educating sort of like a pop like music audience that's really I mean it's really diverse but it's also gay but it's also like kind of like sly and it's S&M but it's very I mean it's really like sophisticated so looking back at it now with more of an educated eye it's really like really layered and i'm, I'm so appreciative of adam ant like for doing all of that you know because it's like we had no idea really like as kids watching like what we were in for and i'm so i'm so grateful for it now adam yeah. ant evil a rock the album is the first time i ever heard tom of finland referenced anywhere in my life yeah. and i'm like what's he who's this tom guy and he's yeah. Friend of his from Finland. Amazing. And we have to talk about. Like, I want to visit Finland. Well, <laughs> I only associate Finland in my mind with Henry Rocks, but that's a whole other. <laughs> we have to talk about the S and M leather aesthetic slipping into mainstream pop. Martin Gore wearing harnesses on stage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and as a kid, a young gay kid who was completely closeted in Ohio, I'm like, this is interesting. I don't know what's happening. Weird things in my body. And uh, I see this and I'm like, oh, and then I years later, like you said, Margaret, I'm like, oh, Jesus, that's what they were talking about. How they get away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. As a quick aside, I have to say the first time I ever heard, because you just said Marquis de Sade, the first time I ever heard those words was in Shiny Shiny by Hazy oh, right. <laughs> And that's a whole other, like, they had that whole Dyskensian Victorian thing going on, too. And they just look fantastic and colorful and everything. So, yeah, we didn't yeah. recognize all these quite highbrow references at the time. But and New Romantic, I think, is really New Romantic is something that also gets lost a lot, like also like the, with the Blitz kids. And I think that they were really influential in a way that people forget because people think it's just like a pile of garbage. But I think they were like 
when you look at like the planet earth video of like duran duran it's so beautiful because it's like who are these like crazy like they're like a bedouin tribe but it's not it's like <laughs> it's like but they're british but it's like they're like also like it's like lena lovich like sand dune people <laughs> like who are they they look so cool Muscle bound video. They become a running gag on this podcast about Spandau Ballet. Muscle bound by Spandau Ballet is so Dune and so like what the hell? Or even like the Dancing for Blue Jean look that Bowie had after Mm -hmm. Let's Dance, where he was Mm -hmm. with the character screaming, screaming Lord Byron. Byron, Yeah, I went to very shortly after David Bowie died. uh, The roller rink out here, uh, which is the Moonlight Rollerway. They had a David Bowie skate night and there was, you know, co- people could dress in costume and there was a costume contest. And of course, most people went to the obvious, which was dressing in Aladdin Sane or Ziggy Stardust. Mm-hmm. Look. There were uh, a couple other, there was one person who did, uh, speaking of no romantics, the ashes to ashes look, which was so completely a nod to what was going on with the Blitz kids. And I was into that. There were different looks, but there was one person who dressed as Screaming Lord Byron on skate. And I was That's so mad as, as I was skating by him, I'm like, you should have won. Because I was like, that is an era that we don't even think of. But that That's was a good one. Yeah. That, and so much, actually, I mean, of what we're talking about, actually, you know, probably actually goes back to Bowie. Because um, all these 80s people were talking about, like Duran Duran and Hazy Fantasia and Mark Almond, who's another person who was doing that S&M thing. Boy mm-hmm. George. Every single one of those people will tell you that their lives changed in an instant when they saw Bowie on um, top of the pops. So a lot of the right, things right. that got into 80s fashion kind of started in the 70s with him, I would say. And he commented mm-hmm. on it in 79 with fashion. I mean, that's what that entire song's about. Okay. Right. I right. did not realize and that. Steve Strange is in the Ashes to Ashes video. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. obviously they, they were not shy about their influences, those guys. I mean, definitely, no, definitely, it's like, but it's all like influence upon influence and they were all influencing each other. And it's like, who came first? Is it like Bolin? Is it like Andy Warhol? Is it Dylan? Is it like Lindsey Kemp? Like who, you know, who Zoom and who? Like it's very, (laughs) it's very hard to sort of pinpoint like, you know, is it, is it Hermione? Like, is right. it Angie? Like it's it's very, or is it um, enough? Angie doesn't get enough respect. No, I I really think Angie had a lot to do. Or who you know is it? Um, you know it's like like, yeah. Who's it? Is it from anybody? Could have been at the Sombrero Club. Like it's like there's so many people in history that we're not even looking to that, you know. Um, it was a time that was really alive with creativity and fashion. And if you think about like all the things that we uh, could get in like vintage clothing stores and like junk shops, imagine what was around. I mean, you know, with uh, like oh, Granny yeah. Take the Trip and places like that before too, you know, what they what they had accessible to them, them in like the 60s, they, they had a lot more to work with when it was before it was like really fashionable. So it was a very different time that they, they there was so much available. I do want to say, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, I feel like the 80s gets a, a bad rap and, you know, compared to, we're see, you know, other decades, including the 90s. But I like the 80s compared to the 90s is there was no sense of 
austerity. Everything was excess. Like why wear three bracelets when you could wear 30 bracelets? You know, why wear a little bit of eyeliner when you can wear eyeliner, you know, like Nina Hagen, you know, why wear, you know, a beige lipstick, which was like what everyone was doing in the nineties when you could wear, you know, a black lipstick or a neon pink lipstick or a red lipstick. And I always loved that excess. It's made everything seem so otherworldly to me. And I was asking you, Margaret, at the top of the show, like what your like main influence was. And even most more so than Madonna for me. Like I aspired to look like her. If you look at one of my junior high yearbook pictures, you may or may not see a gigantic, huge lace bow on my head. And I was wearing yellow lipstick because she wore it in her borderline video in the scene where she's outside the pool hall, like in downtown LA. And I thought her, she, just fun fact, pro tip, Madonna in 1983 can pull off yellow lipstick, me, not so much. Not <laughs> it's a hard look. It's hard. It's harder than the black hair dyes to wear yellow lipstick. It's jaundicey looking on me. But more than even Madonna, the one fashion icon I aspired to, which just kind of sums up the 80s, was someone who didn't even really exist, not a real person. I wanted to be a Patrick Nagel girl so mm. bad. So mm -hmm. bad. Like just mm -hmm. that aesthetic of like it, it was like the new wave Snow White, like white, right. white skin, red, yeah. red lips. Black, black hair. And oh, yeah, yeah. Always, oh, I have so much Patrick. I have Patrick Nagel stuff on my walls. That was like my dream. I was going to marry John Taylor and go live in some like penthouse in Birmingham with like, you know, Patrick Nagel prints on my wall. But I, I remember this. It might have even been before I like I was real little and I was watching one of those like TV shows like I on L.A., like one of those like kind of like you know, variety shows it's on like Sundays at 6 p.m. And they were doing something about Patrick Nagel who was famous because he was doing the illustrations in Playboy. And he was talking about the women in his paintings and who like he, and he said something, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something like, these women are not the girls next door. They are not ivory girls. They are not, you know, typical girls. They are not innocent. They drink too much. They smoke too much. They wear too much makeup. They sleep all day. They go out all night to the clubs. They, you know, they take the Concord places. They hang out on yachts. They, you know, they do not, they are, you know, these are not typical girls. And I was like, yeah, that's what I want to be. I want to be a nigger girl. I mean, I think like, I actually see like stuff like that. And, and even like, like I see when I saw like the women in the Duran Duran videos or when I saw the women in Human League. Uh, or when I saw Nina Hagen, or when I saw even like the movie Liquid Sky, I was like, these are Nagel people like come to life. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I think that definitely it's the um, the girl, uh, it, it's, it's the one that is like answering the phone on the raft in the, <laughs> in the Rio video. And yeah. um, the one that, uh, is uh, Roger Taylor back into the water where he's got that lobster on his foot. And then um, again, I think, oh, oh it's uh, Perry Lister in the chauffeur. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was Perry Lister? It's Perry, Perry Lister in the chauffeur with the blonde when she pulls off her hat and she does the crazy dance. It's just like weird. She's some weird, like, I don't know. It's like real angular. It's like a weird, like, um, Marcel Marceau, kind of like a Martha Graham. It's like a weird, it's real Lindsay Camp kind of stuff, yeah. but it's very beautiful and really sharp. And it's very, it's like very, actually very Ryan Huffington dance. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I think Perry Lister would be like a, you know, Perry Lister and Polly Yates. 
it's definitely are like it because it's like a very blonde Teutonic kind of look. Also, um, it's the woman that's on the cover of Asia. It's that, you know, the Steely Dan album cover. She's a, a Japanese model and she was always photographed with Bowie and like, um, I forgot her name, but it's, she's like very, very iconic. And she's always like photographed with like David Byrne. I think she dated like David Byrne and she was like always like with Ryuchi Sakamoto. She's so like, if you ever see a Japanese model from the eighties, she's like perfect, like the black hair. She's always like, she looks like a painting, but she's like a very, very famous Japanese model that you would always see. And but she was on the Asia album cover. Her name, her name was Sayoko Yamaguchi. Yeah, there yeah, you go. like that. Like yeah. she's sort of like almost like an Asian uh, version of a um, Nagel girl. But the Nagel girls were like that perfect idealized, um, almost a. Uh, Bacchanalian version of like a woman who like only like a vampire who would only come at night and um, live the sort of like uh, otherworldly goth dream of a person. Uh, when I saw that Rio video, I at the time thought, I don't know the woman's name, but the model, the one you just mentioned, I was convinced that the Rio album cover had been like, that was a drawing of her. They cast that mm -hmm. video, so because it wasn't the case. That that um, poster existed before. And by the way, I don't know if you saw the Duran Duran Showtime documentary that was on um, a few months ago, like maybe in January or February. But the favorite scene for me is when Nick Rhodes goes to some kind of art shop, some kind of loft, and they have the original lithograph, huge, like wall-sized lithograph of the Rio what became the real album cover. I like got chills, but she, yeah, she looked, she was so cool that she's on a yacht with Simon Le Bon, who's pouring her champagne and she's making him nervous and she's rolling. I was like, Oh God, Simon, just pour, can you not, can you pour the champagne? You can't even, and you know, and she's like throwing Roger back into the, into the water. And he's so nervous. He gets a crab on his foot. Like she was so cool that she turned Duran Duran into buffoons. She, so great. she spooked Nick Rhodes when he was just trying to read. <laughs> poor guy. And then poor Andy gets thrown off the boat, which was such a metaphor for the entire Duran experience. But yeah, the, the video girls as well at the, it's weird to say because video girl gets like a weird connotation. And when we get into the later eighties where we have, you know, iconic heavy metal videos by Motley Crue where women are in cages or videos like, uh, I don't know, like, like cherry pie by warrant being maybe the, the Zenith or the Nader, depending on how you think of a video girl. That's it's like super like kind of degrading or weird. Like the women who were in, in these videos, like, the women who were in the Roxy Music Avalon video or any of the Duran Duran videos or like uh, Lisa Vanderpump in Mantrap by ABC and Poison Arrow. You got to go back to Perry Lister for a second because if you want to see Perry Lister at the height of her powers, there are a bunch of performances of Visage Fade to Grey, like when they went on some European lip-syncing tour and did all these shows like Top Pop. She's in a, a lot of them, and she's like, and you got to be a strong look to compete with Steve Strange at, at in 1980. And wow. she's like, over here, buddy. You're, you step off. I'm Perry Lister. She was a force, man. But I was watching the Avalon video and this beautiful, impossibly beautiful ethereal creature with like, you know, looking like Catherine Deneuve, but like new wave style is, you know, floating through the video. And my grandmother was over and for some reason she walked in and she looked at the, at the 
TV and she goes, well, she just thinks she's so great. She just thinks she's the best, doesn't she? She really loves herself. And I'm like, what's your problem, grandma? Like my grandma got shook. But like, that's mm -hmm. the thing that these women were, I guess what I'm trying to say is they were like so fashionable. They were intimidating that instead of them seeing like they were in the videos as the accessories to men and just kind of fawning all over Martin Fry or Brian Ferry, who of course are men worthy of being fawned over. Um, they almost were above it all. Like I really aspire to be like a real life navel girl. I still kind of do. I still kind of do. It's yeah, not absolutely. I love that though. I think that's really important. I think that women should be uh, worshiped and, and that we should like have a, uh, women on a pedestal and that that's a really great thing to have like women be like looked at as you know that's a really great thing like I and I I, I really aspire to that image too like just for ourselves to have like the thing of like oh this, you know this is like what the whole goddess thing is about you know and I love that well speaking of worshiping women we haven't even talked about the complete fashion universe unto itself that is Prince and his protégés mm -hmm. Wrong look. Actually, kind of derived a little bit from the new romantic stuff a little bit when he'd wear like like the purple rain look, the the ruffle blouses and stuff. I know you're a huge Prince fan, Margaret. Yes, for sure. And I think what what uh, what Prince did with the new romantic thing is he really he actually streamlined it. So he because he would have he would get everything would get caught on a motorcycle. So you would have to like streamline everything. So he would do that Coco Chanel thing where he would take the last thing he put on and take it off. Yeah. So, you know, very, very streamlined. And it was it was just very perfect. But yes, it, and it was very matchy-matchy. You know, like- You have to go back to the controversy look though. You know, fishnets, uh, big, big overcoat, uh, trench coat. And I mean, again, that was something where it came on MTV and it was like, it, it, anyone else would not have been very masculine and sexy in that. And yet he was, it was really bizarre that he was able to pull that off. Yeah. Actually yeah. what I recall is when he briefly toured with the stones during that era, 1980, 81, he got booed off the stage though. People didn't always get it. Morris day. I did an interview with Morris day where he talked about that. Cause he was the videographer for that tour. He was part of Prince's entourage. And when, um, when Prince came out in the, in the trench coat, the panties, the knee-high boots, and pretty much nothing else. The Stones fans, we're talking, you know, regular meat and potatoes rock fans, probably a little bit older, even back then. They were not having it. They, like, booed him pretty much off the stage, you know, because he was he was very ahead of his time. And to the point I was making earlier that I could have a friend, a male boyfriend, a, a boyfriend in the 80s who could wear a dress – and I didn't think that necessarily meant he was gay. If he was, that was fine. But that was it wasn't an automatic assumption of that. Or a guy could have Robert Smith eyeliner on or be wearing the brooch or looking or the guys in Duran Duran. When I first started liking Duran Duran, my mom was, you know, I was like, oh, John Taylor was my favorite. Uh, you know, I had huge crushes. I had photos of them all on my wall. And my mom, I think, actually had some kind of talk to me once where she was like, you know what? I'm paraphrasing, but she was sort of like, you know what? These guys you like in Duran Duran may not swing your way. You know, they may not be interested in girls. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like they have a million girls in their videos. They date supermodels. They clearly like girls. You know, maybe they may also like men. I don't know, but they clearly like girls. Maybe not girls like me. Uh, that's probably why I wanted to be a natal girl so bad. So I'd have a shot, but you know, it's like there was not the blurring of the lines, which Prince was such a, 
uh, a forerunner of, you know, for the 80s, it was it was kind of assumed. I didn't even assume that Boy George was gay, even when he like obviously was. But like, I didn't assume that just because he was dressed that way. I think it was an interesting time to grow up because now I think people would assume that. It's weird that the Rolling Stones fans had such a, a visceral reaction to Prince because Mick has been known to flounce quite a bit on stage and wear makeup. And I think, I think race had a lot to do with it more than uh, so. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, like, because um, the Rolling Stones have always flouted convention in terms of gender and gender expectation. You know, they've always been very, um, you know, very loose with their own sort of like uh, gender roles and gender sort of play within yep. themselves. And so it does have a lot of like, uh, you know, there, th that is like a mostly, mostly sort of like the racial expectations of a mainly white audience um, expecting black music from uh, a white band, mm -hmm. you know, because the Rolling Stones play black music. So when they have a black artist playing black music, it's like a very, like, it's a weird juxtaposition. So they're, cause they're confronting their own white guilt <laughs> in dealing with it. So there's a lot of layers happening. <laughs> And maybe it was, you know, it, it was what it was the controversy tour, I think, where he was opening yeah. Stones. And it was, you know, yeah. very fancy. And Stones fans hate emotional rescue, you know. So yeah. maybe they were having yeah, there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of things going on. But it's like the the trench coat, it's like it's it's like you're you're bringing out all these things of like it's so sexy and it's it's also very like um porn, you know. It's very like um, porn store. It's like sleazy. And it's like, that's what's so hot about Prince is that, you know, he brings on all of like the dirty elements. He makes sex like dirty, which I think is really fun. And um, it, it's like bringing in the eroticism of like playtime and uh, theater and like comic books and costumes and I mean, and funk and I mean, that's what I love so much about Prince is that he brought in all of these other elements about sexuality that uh, other artists couldn't even mess with, nope. you know, that they couldn't do and that no real artist has been able to do since. You know, he was really an original in that regard. Absolutely. Uh, well, the reason I brought him up at that juncture in the conversation where we're talking about um, worshiping women is I remember there was some, I don't know who was, someone on my Facebook, but when... Um, when uh, it was like a hot take article someone posted very shortly after Prince died that was like, oh, well, don't forget, he exploited women. He put women on the stage in lingerie. I'm like, he put himself on the stage in lingerie. He yeah. went on TV awards with his ass hanging out in chat <laughs> very early in his career, you know, when it would have been a huge, perhaps early career killing risk to do so, he went on stage in front of the Stones in a pair of Speedos and not much else. You know, he played with that. And I always thought the way, um, you know, his his protégés, whether it was Wendy and Lisa or Sheila E or the, Sheena Easton when she came on board, they all sort of dressed like variations of him, but they were, it was almost masculine where they came from. They were usually in suits, you know, mm -hmm. like kind of dressed like him. I thought it was really cool how his protégés, like I dressed as Prince once for Halloween and I told people I wasn't dressed as Prince, I was dressed as Wendy Melboy because it was mm. the same outfit. It was the yeah, same outfit. Totally. I would you love know. when someone try to tell Brenda from uh, Vanity Six what to do. I'll sit, I'll sit over I here. Know. <laughs> oh my God. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. I love Prince. She's the best. <laughs> 
So what were some of our favorite tracks? We've talked a lot about specific artists because obviously this is a music podcast and I think the 80s was so, the fashion was so dictated by what was, uh, by the artists because MTV was so new and we were seeing a lot of fashions that maybe if you grew up in Kentucky or you grew up in a small town, you would not have seen at your local mall or at school, but you were seeing them on MTV and then maybe emulating them and maybe trying to do your own DIY version of it. What were some of the trends that we all really liked that came out of pop music? Headbands. <laughs> headbands. headbands, okay. I mean, it, it's great. I think headbands, I think it, it's a great look now. Um, headbands, um, asymmetry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, off, um, I think off kilter sort of accessorizing, whether it's like the asymmetry of like one long earring, one long hair piece, whatever that is, uh, different colors, um, that kind of thing I think is really beautiful. Dictated a lot for me, but I love me some swatch watches. I tried to buy as many as I could and wear them all at the same time, along with the rubber black uh, bracelets, uh, like a la Madonna from the first album cover. Um, you'll be you'll appreciate that I actually own a Vivian Westwood swatch watch. Just bring it off. Wow! This and I got it. Holy so moly! But I have it. Forty dollars I was being asked to spend in nineteen eighty four was rich. <laughs> and I got it on Etsy actually. So Etsy is good for certain things. There were a lot of, uh, it's funny because you mentioned headbands, Margaret. We haven't even gotten into a big trend that derived from the most MTV looking movie in the 80s was Flashdance. When we talk about athleisure now, no, the original athleisure was in 1984, 85. Everybody was walking around like they were headed to ballet class. Mm -hmm. When they had no business, they were not heading to, they were going to like the 7-Eleven. Leg warmers, when your legs did, when it was summertime and your legs mm -hmm. did not get warmed. <laughs> leotards as tops, leotard, I still do that because a leotard is a good bodysuit. It stays tucked in. Um, you know, the parachute pants that came from like the breakdance thing, people were wearing mm -hmm. them even if they were break dancers. Everybody in, in their own mind was a dancer. Cutting, I still do this because shirts don't fit me well. Cutting the neck off of everything. So it kind of right. hung off like Jennifer Beals sweatshirt. It's weird. Everybody wanted to be Jennifer Beals, even right. if they attended a dance class ever. On the, on right. the guy's side, run DMC, Adidas track suits, big thing. Yeah. I mean, we can't forget hip hop, uh, the birth of hip hop and, and how it affected fashion as well. Starting I mean, even in my small little town, there were people rocking Adidas basically because they worship run DMC. Mm -hmm. And salt and pepper for the ladies. I mean, those like those eight ball jackets, the collar block leather jackets, again, with volume. Those women, they look very, I've, I just interviewed salt and pepper recently. They have a new makeup line out. I'm actually wearing their eyeshadow right now. Okay. Have, and all of, the, all of the colors are named after their songs. So there's like Push It and Shoop and None of Your Business. And they have, it's great. They're great. They had a look that was very, again, sort of the recurring thing that keeps coming up is androgyny and, you know, playing the lines. They looked very tough, but they looked super feminine at the same time. You know, they'd be wearing a big oversized leather jacket that kind of hid their shape and sneakers, like big, huge sneakers. But they'd also have the asymmetrical haircut and huge earrings and lots of jewelry and lots of makeup. You know, they weren't trying to look like guys by any means. I mean, I just think like it was such a, an iconic look. They still, they sell those jackets on their website. I'm going to buy one actually. I've decided. When, just when is Chunky Gold coming back? 
They were so good. I love the like when they would belt a unitard <laughs> and it was so hot. I um I was on the uh, Dick Clark's Rockin' Eve when they um, premiered uh, Shoop. And we shot it in uh, July in Orlando for New York on New Year's Eve. It was wow. <laughs> It was like six months ahead. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be like shown on, on New Year's Eve, but it was like, um, and I remember we like ran it so many times. It was me and Steve Harvey and it was salt and pepper. And it was like such a huge, um, all of their dancers. And it was like a whole new look. And it was like, it was like, yeah, what a man. Actually it was what a man. And it was so crazy. <laughs> it was so I love that. new and so exciting. What were There's your fashion Bible in the eighties? I was, a, I would just buy star hits every month and just go, Oh, I want to do that. I want to do that. Fashion wise in the eighties. Um, I think fashion-wise in the 80s, it was it was all Seventeen magazine. I mean, it was Seventeen magazine. It was solid gold. That's um, solid gold. Solid gold was like kind of like you would just watch. I mean, because we didn't have social media. We didn't have or like even a sense of like, you know, like anything like like solid media was not even as like prevalent because you sort of didn't even have as much of an access to that as well. So like television was probably more um american bandstand uh mm. fridays fridays was my solid kind of like every week i would be watching fridays and american bandstand um soul train for yep. sure um the latest like mv3 like uh or like if i was at summer like i would spend the summers in la so i would watch mv3 or oh, mv oh mm -hmm. yeah richard blade on mv3 um, any kind of like LA dance show. So it would be like MB3 or like um, TV 20 in San Francisco. There was like a, a, a local dance show. So you would watch all the kids dancing, but American Bandstand on Saturdays. Cause you could watch all of the kids with their like clothes. I mean, cause that was kind of like the only thing that you would be able to sort of keep up with fashion, but Fridays for sure. Saturday night live, you couldn't watch the, the people. So you couldn't really tell, but Fridays you could see the audience and, and the, the bands. So they would always have like the pretenders on or always the new wave bands like rock pile and the power pop bands were always on Fridays. I loved Jack Burns satin jacket on Fridays. I wanted that Yeah. when he was like, you know, he, he, he looks so corny now, but back then it was so cool. So hot. It's so hot. <laughs> It's so interesting how there can be certain very specific moments, a very specific garment, like the jacket you just mentioned, that can just really resonate with you. I have a few that I can just say off the top of my head. Uh, anything Madonna wore in Desperately Seeking Susan, if there was anyone I could look like other than a Nagel girl, it would be Susan, Susan Thomas. Mm -hmm. I actually have the jacket, not the jacket, but like I have a replica that I got on Etsy. Thank you, Etsy. Yeah. But like the studded boots, the circular, you know, little wardrobe, little suitcase with the skulls on it. All of it, very specific. There's one thing though, it's really weird. If there was one thing that I could trace, literally trace all my fashion to, it is one video and it's one scene in it or the beginning of it. The Love is a Battlefield video by Pat Benatar. F fun fact, little trivia. It's the first video that had dialogue in it. Cause you know, when she runs out and the, the dad, she's running away. If you leave the house now, you can just forget about coming back. Dad's <laughs> upstairs looking down and she waves at him and runs off. Well, and then she runs off to be like an apocalyptic hooker dancing in the streets. 
uh, in like in rags, once again, common theme rags. But in that she is wearing the, the variations that she wears when she's still teen runaway before she starts becomes a lady of the night. She's always wearing stripes. I have stripes on right now. I'm super into stripes. I think anything stripes, even if it's just the t-shirt makes you look sharp. I also like uh, polka dots. So I'm super into strawberry switchblade and the flirts and the, any kind of graphic pattern. I like plaid pants because I saw Cindy Lauper wear them in this time after time video. But uh, going back to the love is a battlefield when she runs out and she's wearing the leopard print and the, the very strong uh, prints. But she also has a t-shirt that she's tied. She's torn at the neck for no reason. It looks like, you know, a cat just scratched her and tore the neck. And she also, I don't do this anymore, but I used to wear a lot of stuff that just had Asian lettering on it, like Japanese lettering on it. And I didn't know what it said because that was like, I, I feel like that's not appropriate now, but she was wearing a t-shirt that said, I don't know what it said, but it had Japanese letters on it. And I just went like, I want to look like that. I want to look like that and then run away from home. <laughs> so yeah. that was a big one for me, for sure. There was there was a good year there where we're all all my guy friends and myself were cutting all the collars off our t-shirts. I I'm yeah. not sure what that was about. I guess to show a little more skin. Little, little yeah. chest hair. All of all of you know very specific moments like that. I mentioned like a very specific moment in a Madonna video where she's got the yellow lipstick on. Strawberry Switchblade was a big one for me. Even a couple movies. Like, do you guys remember a movie called No Small Affair? That Demi, yeah, wow. with Demi Moore, yeah, for sure, with the so, photographer, which is a photographer. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it stars John Cryer and Demi Moore before either of them were very famous. This is before yeah. San Almost Fire, I believe. This is definitely before Pretty in Pink, and it's like a May December romance. And she's the older woman who John Cryer, who's like a high school aspiring photographer student, like worships and he starts photographing her and she's in a band or she's an aspiring pop star of some kind and she you know lives in much like the jennifer beals character in flash ends lives in a loft she's poor but lives in a loft, loft that kind of looks like stevie nicks um attic in the gypsy video like just very like miss Havisham looking like antique filled falling apart loft and she's always wearing some kind of thrift store outfit. That's kind of like that Cindy Lauper aesthetic of like forties vintage dress, but also lace gloves and also a ton of jewelry and also huge hair and then a pair of ankle boots and also fishnets and somehow it all works. And God, I don't even remember the character's name. I haven't seen that movie since it came out, but I wanted to be, oh, her name was Laura, I believe the character. I wanted to be Laura so bad. I, you know, it's so weird how like the most random thing, like a movie that even John Hughes doesn't remember or very specific scene in a Pat Benatar video can just kind of resonate with you forever. Yeah. What about you, Margaret? Uh, any other sort of like very specific outfits or moments that you saw on TV or in a photo or whatever, where you're like, I need to look like that. You know, I'm still chasing, um, I think um, most of Annie Potts looks in Pretty in Pink, mm -hmm. like any of Annie Potts looks, um, you know, whether it's like at the record store or like any anything like Pretty in Pink or um, I do love some E.G. Daily in Young Turks in um, Rod Stewart's Young Turks. Yep. <laughs> which is like a young, young runaway and like some Converse high tops and tight jeans, like um, boxer shorts and uh, garter belts, uh, tank top in um, Desperately Seeking Susan that Madonna's wearing. Um, mm -hmm. Also, uh, the uh, pencil skirt and um, 
high heels that Madonna kicks the lamppost in in Borderline. Yeah. <laughs> And she's got the yellow lipstick on. That's the same scene yeah. and I wore that. I wore like a little brocade skirt. And also a big thing from there was she was wearing pumps with ankle socks. Those, those, lace, those lace anklets, right? Yeah, the lace anklets. I want to kick a lamppost like really bad. <laughs> like it's like she just looks so goddamn good. But any, I think also like anything like a, um, like a sort of a capri pant with like a low, um, waistband in a lucky star that i love like the early early like madonna wannabe look that lucky star look with that like boy toy or any the like a virgin looks like i still think about like walking through venice on a gond or like being on a gondola dancing those like half shirt like looks are so copied but very rarely can you really get it right it is so perfect and like her stylist was so good they were so right on her name was maripol she and she came up with the first i've interviewed maripol and she came up with the idea for madonna to do the underwear as outerwear thing madonna wasn't the first to do it but she was uh, like many things the one that really popularized that she always sort of like knew how to push something from the clubs into the mainstream and she was, it was like a Fiorucci party and Madonna was there and some people were gonna go on stage and dance with I think Fab Five Freddy or something like that. And Maripol said, you're wearing a nice bra, like Maripol just knew, I guess maybe, but she's like, oh, you're wearing a nice bra under your shirt. You should just take your shirt off. Like your bra looks better than the shirt you have on. Like, and Madonna was like, all right, whatever. And went on stage wearing, you know, like a purple lace blouse or a purple lace bra, I should say. And the rest was history or history. But can we go back for a minute? By the way, Our that was the most 80s sentence you ever just uttered. <laughs> she yeah. was at a Ferrucci fashion show. Yeah. <laughs> it was so pretty, it was pretty like if the Stefan skit <laughs> from Saturday Night Live took place in the 80s, like this, this party had everything. Maripol, <laughs> Fiorucci, Madonna. A bra. Yeah, <laughs> but Margaret, we have to go back to the Annie Potts thing because that is something that resonated with me so much. How much did it break your heart and piss you off? <laughs> and this was a common theme with the other John Hughes, God rest his soul, the original, the, I guess the original, the, OG, the, yeah. the slightly <laughs> more famous John Hughes, that he had these makeovers in his movies. It was bad enough that he thought Ali Sheedy needed to ungoth herself to get a football player Amelia Estevez in Breakfast Club like why should she even want to date him anyway but it broke my heart the message at the end of Pretty in Pink that Annie Potts needed to grow up and start dressing like designing women era Annie Potts I know. And, like, and get a sensible blazer and get rid of all of her cool outfits and her liberty spikes so that she could date a doctor like why is she supposed to want to do that but when I wanted the message to be if she decides she wants to date a doctor like a quote-unquote normal guy because she, it's time for her to grow up and stop dating, you know, rock and roll losers, whatever. I can understand that. But wouldn't it have been better if she had just found a doctor who was like, like Cindy Lauper's husband, who seems like kind of more normal looking guy, who's like, I like the fact that you're kooky and eccentric and, and dressed to the beat of your own drum. Instead, the message was that it was time for Annie Potts's character. What was her name? Ilka? The, the manager of the tracks record store, that it was time for her to put away these foolish things and dress like an adult. I I watched that movie as a kid and I was pissed off then. And I was I, pissed, yeah, I didn't get it. Like, I didn't get it, but that's not why I watched it. And then and the endings aren't why you watch those movies, you know? You watched it for everything but, mm. and it's kind of like, it's almost like the endings aren't as important as 
what happens throughout it. You know, it's sort of like, I, it's sort of like the way that life itself is, is like the endings don't really matter because it's really the journey that that's really important, you know? And, and what we experience all the way throughout, all of the scenes that add up to it, because the endings are just another part. They're another stop. Um, it, so, it, yeah. It, that's a good take on it, by the way, because uh, yeah, I, I am kind of with Lindsay on the anger for poor Iona. With Iona, yes. Iona, oh, Iona yeah. <laughs> I just didn't like it as someone. She's an entrepreneur. She owns her own business. What's the problem here? She, it's on brand as someone who's running an indie record store to come to work yeah. to dress for the job you have, which as well as the job you want. That's but the thing that like, movie because remember the principal tells uh, tells Annie uh, or Eddie or I'm blanking on the protagonist's name right now. Sorry. It, if you send out signals that you don't want to belong, people will make sure you don't. Well, yeah, there was a weird conservatism in John Hughes movies. It like you know, besides the Ali Sheedy scene, I said at the time the Pretty in Pink came out, I was dressing you know by you know my pair. Even though my mom was saying, "Fine, dress how you want. I'll sew you your Cindy Lauper pants." You can. She, I got the message from her and from society in general. Like you can do this when you're young. It's fine right now for you to dye your hair a weird color or wear combat boots or you know wear. Uh, these crazy outfits but at some point when you grow up and you have to get a real job or whatever you'll have to put this aside and i hated that message and i you know obviously rebelled against it my whole life and i still feel kind of i feel kind of like i am i own it now you know and so when i saw that message that and you know again i was young but even at that young age i was kind of like i don't like this message that is saying that mm -hmm. somehow having fun with fashion which everyone was having in the 80s is something um, frivolous and that right. and um, not to be taken seriously. I hated the message there because yeah, all of all of Iona's looks were were amazing and she should yeah. never. It's so good. I do have to point out that all three of us who seem to have had parallel '80s experiences have chosen careers that allow us to still be ourselves. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, before we we wrap this up, I want all of us to say what their absolute favorite outfit that they wore in the eighties was, and do you still have it? If you have it, I, I mentioned it earlier. I had this shirt. I bought at mirror ground that I had to save paper out money for, for at least two months. And I'm so glad they still had it. They never put it on sale, which was a bummer, but it, like the collar was one design, like polka dot. This panel of the shirt was like stripes. This panel was plaid. This sleeve was like a green and red design. This sleeve was like a purple and yellow. It looked like they sewed parts from 14 different shirts into this one shirt. And it was the most eye bleeding, loud, obnoxious thing ever. And I wore the crap out of it. I mean, it got to a point in my senior year where I'd wear it to school. And people go like, oh, do you have another shirt, dude? Um, no. I don't. I paid $45 for this. I'm going to wear it until it's gone. That was a lot back then for a shirt. Well, um, my favorite, um, I have it. I have it. It's, um, I don't know where it is right now, but I have it. It is actually, my mother made it and it's a magenta polka dot. And I told, I told you about this before. It's, um, it's polka dot and it's magenta black, uh, polka dots with, um, it's a fifties dress made, um, it's a replica of the, the Cinderella dresses that in the Cinderella video with the girls with the clock hats. Cinderella, the metal band, not Cinderella. The metal the band. Yeah, the metal band. Our fairy tales. Cinderella's like nobody's fool video. 
Yeah. And there, um, it's, it's like got the uh, sort of 50s um, halter neckline. And my mother made it in a pattern and it, she really, she stayed up for several nights making it. It took forever. And uh, it, it was a, it, it still fits. And um, it's, it was a, it was a stretch sateen <laughs> and it's a little bit of a, it, it's a little bit of a struggle to get on, but it's somewhere in, in this house and I will find it and I will put it on sometime. Did you have a clock hat? Did it come with I don't know. I don't know where the clock hat is, but I know. Wait, you had one? You had one? Yeah, I had some some facsimile of a clock hat. It wasn't exactly a, a clock hat, but it was a hat of some kind. Wow, that's amazing. Well, I had a couple. One of them, I was very into like tearing stuff up. I, I my my sort of thought back then was if I took something and took pinking shears to it, it made it cooler. So I had like a actually it was very kind of uh, Boy George or kind of Hazy Fantasious. It was like a flared skirt that had attached suspenders to it, but I completely tore up the uh, skirt with pinking shears. I think I was trying to go for a sort of either strawberry switchblade, voice of the beehive, crinoline look with a little <laughs> bit of Patricia Morrison. But my absolute favorite thing I had, and I'm so sad I don't have this. I feel I could probably squeeze myself into it. I'm so sad I don't have it. Was for my prom. I grew up in Los Angeles, as a lot of people know. For some reason, I got my mom to allow me to buy a dress from Playmates. If people don't know what Playmates is, it was a store that sadly is no more on Hollywood Boulevard. That was basically a store for strippers and drag queens. Yeah. It sold a lot of, you know, uh, feather boas and lingerie and lacy stuff. And, and, you know, kind of clubby and kind of, yeah, it was probably more of a stripper place than anywhere. But I bought, again, Toronto, we haven't even talked about Patricia Morrison, but she was another style icon for me. I bought a PVC corset dress. The top of it was pleather, patent leather, whatever. It laced very tight up the back, so it really gave you a cinched, kind of piratey look, actually pirate wench look. It was sheer from the waist down. My mom insisted I wear a slip under it, which I completely would take off and just wear like hot pants underneath. But a sheer black... Uh, layered kind of like crinoline skirt and I bought it at Playmates. I think it was $180. I uh, had it on layaway because I, I did buy it myself and it was goth. And it was also, it was actually quite Perry Lister now that I think about it, you know, mm -hmm. it, was, it was sort of like an outfit she would wear or like, you know, maybe a little bit of like Texacala Jones look to it, you know, like the, the tight leather corset and the big lacy uh, and the lace was kind of hung in like, tendrils like in strips like yeah in pointy strips oh yeah, and I yeah. Went to friggin prom and i went oh. with the guy that i borrowed the dress from the one i told you about and he wore more makeup than me i looked like i was going to prom with kat von d like he seriously looked like kat von d with all the makeup on minus the minus the tattoos and i wore that i didn't i didn't even want to go to my prom the reason i i, I lied i said that um i paid for it but i did i paid for half of it my mom gave me a budget of like 100 bucks and said you know if you want to buy something more in this you have to pay for it yourself so i paid the difference i think the reason i even went to prom i didn't really care was because i knew my mom would give me some money to buy a dress that would be outside of um, what I could normally afford or what she would normally buy for me. And so I was practical. I wasn't like going to buy a dress that I could only wear once. I was going to buy a dress so that I could wear to the Roxy the following weekend to scream and to all the clubs. I loved that dress so much. I'm so sad I don't have it anymore. It was like, I really, every time I put it on, I felt like Patricia Morrison or I felt like Susie Sue. I felt, I felt like a rock star. And I think 
that's kind of the important thing that we're talking about with all of clothes uh, making. Fashion. That's so right. I love Absolutely. it. Clothes are armor, makeup is armor. So this has been so much fun. I can't think of someone who could have had more amazing <laughs> points than Margaret. Uh, Margaret, since so you're fun. the woman, the fashion expert among this panel, how would you sum up before we go the 80s fashion? Like what in a nutshell was it? The, the common thread, no pun intended. It was really, um, it was really unabashed excess that was unironic and unembarrassed. Like it was really like not about being tongue in cheek. It was like pre-irony. It was pre, um, it was decadence without um, a sense of embarrassment. You know, it was it was true um, excess. And I don't know if we'll ever get back to that point because we have a real sense of what it costs to the earth. So I, I'm, I'm glad that we got to live in that time because, because now we know what it, how expensive it really is. Oh, yeah. That, that is true. But that being said, when you say the lack of embarrassment, it's kind of funny because there are a lot of people that when they look at their photos from the 80s or whenever they were a kid, they're like, oh, my God, can you believe I used to wear that. Oh, how embarrassing. I look at my photos from then. I'm like, I wish I still had that dress. I know. So proud. Cool. I don't think I realized how cool I looked, even in that, those Cindy Lauper pants that my mom sewed for me. So proud. How cool it was. And I am grateful I, I lived through that time as well. It is a time that we'll probably never get again. Uh, but it was wonderful to revisit it with the two of you. Thank you so much, Margaret. Welcome back anytime. You are an 80s. Yeah. Thank you. I would hey. love it. So is there anything before I let you go that you want to plug? I mentioned you got so many things going on. What do you have coming up? Um, I'm I'm um I'm gonna be just podcasting. So I would love to have you both back on my podcast and we can continue this uh, wonderful conversation. So that would be great. Awesome. I will take you up on that. We will take you up on that for sure. So thank you so much, Margaret. I'm Lindsay thank Parker. Thank you. I've been joined today by John Hughes, and we want to thank everybody for listening. Remember to give us a rate and review on your favorite podcast platform, and we'll catch you next time. This was Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Totally 80s, and please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next episode, catch you on the flip side. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.